what we learn from the Holy of Holies is again and again that the approach to God was always limited. And there was always one way. No one can come to God in the way he thinks he can. He has to follow what God has asked us to follow. Welcome to this, the third of our three-part series on the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. We will get right into today's lesson with the three items which were to be found in the Holy of Holies, this being the tablets of the law, Aaron's rod, and the golden pot of manna. So let's join up now with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon as we continue our study on the tabernacle. Be blessed as you listen in. Shalom. The table of the law was, so to speak, the contract on which the covenant rested. The Ten Commandments represented the 613 laws. And the obedience of the law stood on the Mosaic covenant, and the table represented that covenant. As for Aaron's rod, why this rod? In number 16, we read of an incident where some have questioned the authority of Aaron. And so God asked the 12 tribes to bring in a rod. And there he chose the rod of Aaron as being his representative. And so he ordered that this rod will be kept in the ark forever. And the choice pointed mainly to what Aaron represented, the priestly order. An order that was to be fulfilled by Yeshua himself. Hebrews 8.1 says, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest, right? It's no more Aaron, but it's Yeshua who become the high priest, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty of the heavens. And God's choice was not negotiable. And there was that particularity about Aaron's road. It is that it budded. Why? How could a dead piece of wood bud? This in itself could be seen as a symbol of the resurrection of our high priest, Yeshua. Yeshua was not mere priest, but the one who resurrected. This is why the rod, actually, it pointed to the one to come. The third item was the pot of manna. It symbolizes God's provision for his own. And the question is, why stress that point here in the Holy of Holies? Because every time an Israelite... And by implication, any of you who are believers in Yeshua will think of the manna, will think of the ark. We will realize under which miracle we were saved. Furthermore, how this miracle has not finished to be performed in our life. It's an ongoing miracle. And one will find it interesting and sad to notice that each of these three items were connected with the rebellion. The table of the law was connected with the making of the golden calf. Aaron's rod was connected with the rebellion of Korah in Numbers 16. The manna with Israel was connected with the many rebellions of the people that we have seen in the first chapters of Exodus. And no one was allowed to enter that room, only the high priest and only on the day of Kippur, on the day of atonement. And he did not just get in there like that. The preparation was very painstaking. According to Leviticus 16, it first involved an offering which consisted of a bull. This was a sin offering for unintentional sins. Then there was an offering of a ram for a burnt offering. The high priest also had to put a proper clothing, the only clothing he could wear on that day. And before he would put on this clothing, he had to go through a very rough, thorough ritual bath. And in addition to that, he had to offer the two he goats. 
what we learn from the Holy of Holies is again and again that the approach to God was always limited. And there was always one way. No one can come to God in the way he thinks he can. He has to follow what God has asked us to follow. And one important thing is that the atonement was always by blood. Leviticus 17, 11. Anytime one wants to approach God, where is your blood? This is the question that the Bible over and over asks. Now, what exactly is the Ark of the Covenant? Again, the Ark was a box made of wood. It was a wooden chest open to the top, which was entirely overlaid with pure gold, inside and out. But the cover itself was made completely of gold. Apparently, it would weigh something like five tons, 5,000 kilos. At today's price, would be something like $120 million. No wonder that the Babylonians and the Romans wanted to come to Israel. Bible translators have called this top the mercy seat. I cannot tell you why they chose to call it a seat. The Hebrew word is kaporet, which simply means a covering. It was a covering for the ark. And one can see a further meaning in the word kaporet, in that the word kippur comes from the word kaporet. Kaporet means cover, just like the animal sacrifices will cover you or cover the Israelites until Yeshua came. But if you think of a seat... One could perhaps say that it is a seat of mercy, but one cannot speak of the seat of God, because the ark was seen not as a seat, but as a footstool for God. See what David says as he spoke of building a house for the ark of the covenant. In First Chronicles chapter 28, at the end of verse 2, he says, For it shall be a footstool for God. And even in Psalm 132.7, David says, Let us go into the tabernacle, let us worship at his Footstool. Again, Lamentation 2 1. The whole temple is seen as God's footstool. And considering the cherubim that were made of gold and that overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant, if it was a seat, then one might think that the angels are protecting God, but it's the opposite. God is actually protecting the angel. They are there at God's feet, worshiping. In fact, when you read different passages, especially Ezekiel, who was brought to heaven and saw that throne of God, in Ezekiel 10.1, he says that God was above the angels, and also 10.19. And also looking at extra-biblical practices of recording, the instrument of a treaty, what they used to do is that they would put the text at the feet of the deity. And the whole ark was a symbol of Jesus as a propitiation. The word propitiation means to appease the wrath of God. Where is the Ark of the Covenant today? As many are still looking for it. Let's briefly look at the history of the Ark. You know, after the events of Exodus, after that the Israelites reached Israel in the days of Samuel, they made that mistake to take the Ark of the Covenant into a battle with the Philistine. It was a wrong use because they use it as a good luck charm. And as a consequence, the Philistines took that ark with them. For the next 20 years, it was in the private home of Abi Nadab, a Levite. Why? Because the Philistines could not hold it. They had a lot of plagues, because, and so they gave it back to the Jews. There, David tried to bring the ark into Jerusalem, but he used the wrong people to do it, as we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 6. There was the ark who was about to be tilted, and a man called Uzzah tried to hold it, but God actually killed him right there and then. 
And so David was afraid to touch that ark for a long time. And when Solomon built the temple, the Ark of the Covenant was transferred from there into the Holy of Holies, as we see in 2 Corinthians 5. And it's only when the Babylonian came that they actually took that Ark. The Bible does not mention, that doesn't say that the Babylonian did actually take that Ark with them. But it says that whatever they left, they burnt it in order to pull out the gold from it. By the way, if you think about it, the Ark of the Covenant was not present when Jesus was in the temple. The Holy of Holies was empty. So it makes sense that the Ark of the Covenant was not present in Herod's temple because Jesus was there. And he is the ultimate Ark of the Covenant. So again, it would be useless to look for the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, God says in Jeremiah chapter 3, Verse 16, he says, then it shall come to pass, and he's talking about the future, that when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it. Why? Because God is there. And do you know also that the Ezekiel temple, the temple of the millennium, there's no ark of the covenant. In fact, there's no holy of holies. You know why? Because God will be present on earth. So it would be kind of useless to look for the ark. Since what we see in Exodus is a copy of the things in heaven, in Revelation eleven nineteen there is an ark of the covenant that is mentioned in heaven. He says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. What could have been enclosed in the ark of the covenant right there? You have the commentator, J. Mason Fawcett and Brown, who said that it contained the pledge of God's faithfulness to his covenant in saving his people and punishing the enemies. So the one in heaven has nothing to do with the one on earth. And above the ark, cherubim. They were carved in gold, looking at the ark of the covenant and at the same time worshiping God. Notice again, they are looking toward the ark that contains the covenant. Why is that? Remember what we are told about the work of angels, especially in 1 Peter 1.12. Things which angels desire to look into. To look into in Greek is literally to bend over so as to look deeply into and see the bottom of the thing. What we learn here is that angels do learn from men. They learn about redemption. Think about it. They live in a place where there's no sin. They know that the prince of this world is Satan. And they know him very well because they worked under him. And so they are amazed to see the grace of God working through men, men being so weak and sinful and yet being conquerors in Yeshua. This is what I believe that we see in the Ark of the Covenant as they see what is happening in that covenant itself. And right now they are looking at us. Learning of the grace of God. Now we're going to conclude with the veil. The veil that separated the Holy of Holies to the holy place. And here we come to something really great. We have seen how complicated the entrance to the Holy of Holies is. And see how the Bible actually describes this veil. If the veil represents the flesh of the Messiah, you know what happened when the Messiah died? What happened to the veil? It tore. So it is revealed that the veil represents the flesh of Christ. This is a great truth we have here. 
that veil that separated men from God has been now torn. Now that doesn't mean that everyone can just appear before God when he wants it and the way he wants it. Let's not forget that it speaks of the flesh of the Messiah and any access to God does require that one realizes that fact. That is why Paul meant in Romans 10.9 when he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. If you confess and recognize that the flesh that was torn is that of the Messiah. And if you believe that he is now the only high priest through which you can enter the heaven, then you shall be saved. Just not say, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. You have to understand that he actually died and that he died for your sins in order for you to approach God. The veil marked the point of separation, but that separation need not be now if you believe in him. Don't go away. We'll be right back with the second half of our program coming up just after this message. As we wind up for the second part of our program today, we would like to remind our listeners how blessed and privileged we feel to be part of your radio day. We pray that the messages you hear will instruct you, edify you, and encourage you to love the Lord more and follow Him into obedience in even greater ways. We are all changed by the challenges and transformed by the trials of life. And as we walk them together, we keep looking up to Him who is mighty to break down the walls of Jericho that stand before us and to hand over to us the spiritual victories in life. Yeshua has broken down the greatest barrier, the greatest wall that has separated us from God the Father. Thank you listeners for joining us in prayer and in financial support for this ministry. If you have it on your heart to give to this ministry, then you can by logging on to our congregation website at bethariel, B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L, And if God leads you to contribute from the treasures that God has blessed you with for the continuation of this radio ministry. Shalom, shalom, as we begin part two of today's program. And just... As the smoke went into the presence of God, even so the prayers of the believers go into the presence of God. And as this incense was burned with the fire taken from the bronze altar, so it says that one may not approach God if he doesn't have the sacrifice with him. In today's study of the tabernacle, we're going to cover a very interesting point. The coal which is taken from the brazen altar and put on the altar of incense asks you this question. Where is your sacrifice? Where is your blood covering? Sin was always covered by blood, as the Levitical laws so clearly demonstrate. Today, a believer in Yeshua's completed work can say that He is the blood sacrifice shed on our account, and He is the covering of our sin. Do you have the blood of Messiah covering your sins? Did not Peter say in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This is the way the altar of incense worked in the tabernacle. The coal that was first placed on the altar of incense came from the brazen altar which already had the blood of the sacrifice on it. If our sacrifices are to reach God and our prayers are like incense, we need to ask ourselves, where is the blood? Welcome to Shalom Ariel and to our continuing lessons on the tabernacle in the book of Exodus with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. Be blessed as you listen in. Shalom. So today we're continuing our walk through the tabernacle of God. Details are given concerning its building that we may not at first perceive its relevance. 
In fact, when you read through it, you might stop and say, why are we given so many details? And so we tend to just skim through the passage. In fact, the segment of Exodus 25 to Exodus 40 happens to be one of the least read and studied portions of the Bible because it is complicated and not easy to figure with all the various components that are presented to us. But there is something wonderful about this passage. Because the more you read it, the more you read and reread it, the more it becomes relevant and little by little great truths emerge from it. And here one more time we realize that it is those difficult passages in the Bible that contain great truths and through whom we are greatly blessed. The starting point of course is to realize that this is the word of God. That he inspired every single word and every single word contained in there has their message, they have their relevance. And it is through hard work and faith that one would finally realize its depth. And so we have seen that the tabernacle and the temple of Solomon as well were designed according to the pattern of the things in heaven. And studying those passages, we somehow found ourselves in the same position as Isaiah or Ezekiel when they were carried to heaven to have that glimpse of this wonderful place. Reading this account, especially that of Ezekiel, we can see that the prophets could hardly understand what they were seeing, but that they nevertheless, they were in awe of that place. Even Paul, when carried in heaven, if you remember, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 to 3, he says that he heard an expressible words, which is not lawful for men even to utter. And today, by the words that we're going to find in Exodus 25 to 40, we're going to have a similar, a somehow similar vision. No, we're not going to see these humongous and great angels walking around that Ezekiel did. We're not going to hear these inexpressible words, but it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit of God will bring us to see wonderful things from His Word. After all, this is the description according to a pattern of the place that we'll be spending eternity very soon. The last time we considered the tabernacle, we looked at the outer curtain and how the tabernacle appeared from the outside. While many do not agree of the nature of the outer material, they all agree that it was not an attractive material. So when you walk by and you see the tabernacle, not a nice place. And right at the beginning, one realizes that the beauty of it is the inside. This tabernacle typified Yeshua when he was on earth. The beauty was beyond what the eye could see. Of course, when speaking of the tabernacle of Moses, we also speak of the temple of Solomon. But here, comparing the both, there is a big difference between them. The difference is in the way they both appeared from the outside. The reason, I believe, is that the tabernacle of Mo Moses foreshadowed the first coming of Yeshua. And the temple of Solomon foreshadowed the second coming of the Messiah. But both basically give us a very similar description of the inside. Today both of these were destroyed. And that brings us of course to consider the temple that we have in heaven. As the book of Hebrews actually explains to us. So moving in the insides of the tabernacle. Altogether then one realizes that there were three separations. 
In fact, in the Jerusalem temple, the separation was even more marked. It had actually five vast areas in there. First, you had the courts of the Gentiles. Gentiles could not get in this area. You had another fence in there. In fact, there was a plaque at the time of Jesus that any Gentile will enter will be killed. And then there was also the courts of the woman. Any Israelite may come in entered by the beautiful gate of the temple. This is how they would enter. Then they had the court of the Israelites. And then the courts of the priests. This is the inner courts. And then the holy of holies. And since the court curtains separated Jews and Gentiles, it symbolized that middle wall of partition that separated Jews and Gentiles that has been broken off. This is why... We are together as one now when we come to the Lord. And as for the furniture it contained, there are seven of them. We had the ark. You had the mercy seat, that is the lid on top of the ark. You had the altar of incense, the table of showbread. You had also the lampstand, the laver, and you had the brazen altar where they would make the sacrifice. The last time we've looked at the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. Today, let's start by looking at the altar of incense. So the altar of incense was placed just before the veil that separated the two places. And on it, the priest was to burn the prescribed incense morning and evening. The significance of the altar of incense is that it symbolizes prayer. It symbolizes prayer. The prayer of the people of Israel. That incense symbolizes prayer is seen in Psalm 141.2. When David says, let my prayer be set before you as incense. And just as the smoke went into the presence of God, even so the prayers of the believers go into the presence of God. And as this incense was burned with the fire taken from the bronze altar, so it says that one may not approach God if he doesn't have the sacrifice with him. The call from the altar still asks the same question. Where is your blood when you speak to God? Where is your password? For us today, we pray under the name of Yeshua to God the Father. We use the blood of the Lamb. There isn't any other way to enter the presence of God. As Peter says in Acts 4.12, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This is what the altar of incense and the way it is constructed teaches us. You know, in ancient Athens, at the gateway of the famous Parthenon, there stood an altar dedicated to tears. No sacrifices were offered there and no offerings were made. It was simply a place where the remorseful and the brokenhearted could go and bow and weep out their sorrows. While this may have given some psychological relief, it did not touch their basic needs. Today we learn, especially as typified in the altar of incense, that our God is ever ready to listen and to act on our prayers when we pray, of course, under the name of the one that he sent to die for your sins. Today the prayers of the believers are like the incense of the priests as they are carried to the throne of God from the altar where the sacrifices are made. And right next to the altar of incense, we have the lamb stands. There was only one other piece of furniture in the tabernacle besides the lid of the ark that was made solely of gold, namely the lamb stands. It was a seven-branched lamp. The tabernacle, by the way, had no windows. Therefore, the only light in the first room 
the holy place was from this lamp stand, and but the Shekinah glory provided the light in the holy of holies. So what does the lampstand represent for us today? The lampstand represents what Israel ought to have been and what it will be. That is a light to the Gentiles. As we see it in Isaiah 42.6, I know, it says, the Lord, I have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, as a light to the Gentiles. Today there is a veil over that lampstand. Israel today is not the light to the Gentiles, but it will be later on in the millennium. Who then carries the light of this lampstand? Today we are told that the believer is the light of the world, as he or she reflects the light of Yeshua to others. In Matthew 5.13, speaking to the believers, what did Yeshua say? He said, you are the light of the world. And how was this light sustained? It was sustained by oil. The oil for the lamps reminds us of what? Of the Holy Spirit who has anointed us. Without the oil, there's no light. So this lamp shows that the believer's work has to be sustained by the Spirit of God. First John 2.20 actually says that. He says, but you have an anointing of the Holy Spirit as believers. And you know all things as the Spirit of God will reveal you all these things. And the golden lampstand is as well a picture of the Word of God that gives us light as we walk through this world. As Psalm 119.05 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path because the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to show you the will of God and what you are to do. Today, as each believer is seen as a light to the world, he is a light so far as he is part of the lampstand where he is fed by the Holy Spirit. The lampstand also symbolizes what? It symbolizes the congregation of God. It symbolizes the church of God. Remember Revelation 1, as John saw, he was taken to heaven and he saw seven lampstands. And somebody explained to him, he says, the seven lampstands which you saw are seven churches. And these seven churches were to represent a sample of the churches through history. It represents what we learn is the close tie between the believer and the congregation. He is the light, the congregation is the lampstand. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God through the congregation of God to sanctify the believer. And the particularity of the light was that it burnt perpetually. There is no time in our stay on earth where we are separated from God, where we are separated from the will of God, from doing the work of the Lord. Remember that we are the light of the world and we are the ambassadors for Messiah. So let us use the Word of God through the Spirit of God to be sanctified and to bless others with the most important message we can give anyone. Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of Scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will He renege any of the promises He has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 685 5902 or you may write us at info at Beth Ariel, B-E-T-H, 
A-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monkland Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. If you would like to sign up for informative newsletters, log on to our website and add your name to our email list. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom.